this is the sign language for music. He's like, oh, yeah. oh, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spore the Warning podcast. This is review number 483 with a review of The Shape of Water. I am Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spore the Warning podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. This week, I'm not sick, but I did lose my voice a little bit. <laughs> so He's a little unwell. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little unwell. So I, I'm apologizing ahead of time. Hopefully, this isn't too troublesome. I feel like I've... Uh, healed a little bit since mm-hmm. since this morning and you've, you have enough like npr voice cred now after so many years <laughs> i think people can take one day of you having a voice like the rest of us <laughs> yeah so so here we are um carson isn't joining us for the main recording of the review but he has informed us that he will be able to record a drop-in which we will put somewhere once we get to the actual review for the shape of water um, so look forward to hearing his thoughts about the film later in this episode. Uh, but uh, yeah, how you, how you doing? How you doing tonight, Stephen? Doing good. We're a bit rough after the company Christmas party, <laughs> holiday party, excuse me, yeah, yeah, last sorry. night. Um, <laughs> but hanging in there, feeling good. Got a little bit of nice karaoke out of the way last night. So. Yeah. <laughs> Which, as it said, not sick. Did karaoke a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> turns out. It's not, it's not good to record a podcast the night after you do a lot of drunken no. karaoke till like 4 a.m. Yeah, so we don't need to discuss it on air, but I was wondering how late you guys stayed. I, I bailed at like 3 a.m. Yeah, yeah. So we, we were only there for like an hour. I think they actually closed the joint at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, we, we were not allowed to uh, to continue on. Oh, by the way, I have a PSA for Carson Patrick when he listens to this. Uh, I saw Shape of Water at Alamo Draft House, a.k.a. the Fat House today. And they changed their pizza menu, and prosciutto and fig is no longer a pizza what? there. So, Carson, you're going to have to find something else to make fun of us for. That kind of makes me sad. I know, me too. <laughs> I mean, if I'm, if I'm honest, I do, I do, I am partial to that breakfast burger. Yeah. Um, but oh, that's what I had today, of yeah. course. But, like, sometimes I feel like if I'm, if I'm sitting, if I'm not sitting, if I'm not sharing the little table with a friend, um, I, I feel bad having, like, a big <laughs> burger that I'm just, like, Leaning forward and this taking is Chris guilting me up. about how I don't go see the movies with him as often anymore. No, if no, I don't no. have someone at the table next to me, I I feel bad. Uh, no, no, but I mean seriously, like, sometimes I'm, I'm a little worried about eating food that is like hard to like maintain. So I prefer to get that prosciutto fig pizza, just so yeah. you can like lift a little triangle of pizza up to your face and just eat it without um, in- encroaching on the space of the person next to you. But I guess I guess I'm gonna have to just stick to that god awful burger. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, um, I, I'll have a, a different type of question. I mean, this is just this is this is, this is recovery day, so we're not not the yeah. top of our game. Um, but we should get into this review. I mean, yeah. that's, that's all that's all we got to do. So yeah, let's do it. We're gonna take a listen to the trailer for The Shape of Water, and then we are going to come back and give you a review. If I told you about her, the princess without voice, what would I say? Eliza, come on. 
Mute, sir. She can hear you. You clean that lab, you get out. This may very well be the most sensitive asset ever to be housed in this facility. You may think that thing looks human. Stands on two legs, right? But we're created in the Lord's image. You don't think that's what the Lord looks like, do you? This creature is intelligent, capable of language, of understanding emotions. When he looks at me, he doesn't know how I am incomplete. He sees me as I am. The natives in the Amazon worship them like a god. Get him out. What are you talking about? No. We need to take it apart, learn how it works. I don't want an intricate, beautiful thing destroyed. We can do nothing. I'm sorry. Don't do this, Alasa. What is she saying? Don't do this. Oh, God, it's not even human. If I told you about her, what would I say? I wonder. All right, so that was the trailer for The Shape of Water. It is the latest film from Guillermo del Toro. Uh, basically, it is a story of this young woman who is mute and works at this like science lab slash government building of something. And they have a new asset which they are keeping in the lab, which is a, you know, fish man. <laughs> and she decides that uh, the way the scientists slash government slash evil people are treating this fish man is not good and decides that maybe she can take it upon herself to help this person out or thing thing. It's not a person. It's a thing. Uh, <laughs> Stephen Miller, <laughs> what did you think of The Shape of Water? So do you remember with Justice League? I, I think Carson mentioned when uh, the movie opened after that first little iPhone shot with the fake mustache. <laughs> um, he, he mentioned, like, finally a real movie, right? Like, finally this looks and feels like a real movie. That is my feeling with Shape of Water. Like, this movie, just, like, visually alone, it just felt so refreshing. Like, the moment it opened and the camera starts swooping and the colors are vibrant and things are just, like... Things are so full in a very, like, big kind of Tim Burton-y or Amelie type way where you're just like, all right, I'm in the hands of someone who, like, if nothing else about this movie works, at least I'm in the hands of a visual <laughs> stylist who for the next two hours is going to just guide me through whatever he wants. Yeah. And honestly, the whole movie really worked for me. I, I loved this movie, and I did not think I would at all. I'm not... Like, by any stretch, uh, Guillermo del Toro completionist. I still never saw Crimson Peak, even though people people were, like, fairly divided on it. It seemed like the kind of movie I'd want to weigh in on. But I just, I thought this was such a nice, like, fairy tale type movie. I mean, th this movie is shimmering in the way that I think people who loved La La Land loved it for. This movie is just, like... There's so many big flights of fancy and grand romantic moments. Yeah. Uh, the acting, I would say, is very 
like European in the sense that people are people are not like being nuanced characters. People are being big romantic expressions of emotion. Um, and it's just like packed with so many wonderful character actors. Like Sally Hawkins is great in this. Ray- Richard Jenkins is doing like a Tracy Letts type thing, which I'm always down for. <laughs> Michael Shannon is just hamming the hell out of this movie. I don't know who he is in this movie. <laughs> Uh, Octavia Spence. It just like has so many people and they're all playing their role so well. And I, I really just thought it was it was moving in a kind of grand, romantic, old school Hollywood way. And I I, I loved the way it it really does what uh, Pan's Labyrinth did, which is combine moving kind of childlike wonder with very adult levels of violence and other things. And the way it just meshes those two things together in a very... Edward Scissorhands' way, just it felt like a great statement of what Guillermo del Toro tries to do with his movies, which is just make you confront something. And I think that this is just like a very provocative, interesting movie. And I was smiling the whole time I watched it. I I was totally on board for this. Yeah, I I like The Shape of Water a lot. I mean, I had a a great time with it. I was I I was actually getting pretty interested in going into the film, like. Uh, I I don't usually grow tired of seeing trailers and I'd seen the trailer for it a lot and I kind of like I was totally on board for this story that it was going to tell and I was I was excited to see this journey of this young woman like befriending the befriending this fish person mm-hmm. and then wherever that was going to go and you know I was excited for this sort of like Wally Eve sort of these two things that can't really communicate but can and and like I I I wanted to see that aspect of the story yeah. and this film is not only that story um it it's sort of broken into multiple pieces where you you have the beginning where she like sees who this like she first meets the creature and sees the creature here and she immediately wants to save the creature right yeah this isn't like a this isn't like a how to train your dragon type thing where you spend like weeks of time where the characters or or an arrival type thing where the process is the thing that you're yeah 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 yeah. so like in the arrival like the event is how do we learn how to communicate? Not mm-hmm. not just like they're here, we're communicating. What are we gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> um, so this this film like has those two distinct chunks, and I think that while the second distinct chunk, which is just the like how do I save this creature? How do I stop the bad people from being bad to it? That it's not that it's not strong. It's just it, it's that it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the film is a much lesser film in those scenes. I mean, there's this weird like russian side yeah, plot that could, much like hail caesar the russian stuff could just go and nothing would change yeah yeah like so i mean i mean i can i can i can see the the context like it it helps set this in a period of time in mm-hmm. which we're like still trying to compete against the russians for like information and like do the space flight stuff and like it, it makes sense in the story that guillermo wants to thank tell thank god nothing's going on with the russians now <laughs> <laughs> this fish man could be the, the key to winning elections <laughs> um but but yeah so like so that that side of things it, i mean it's it's interesting because I, I like the people that are involved in there yeah <laughs> um but it's just one of those things where it's like unfortunately we get to that part of the story very quickly right and what i really really loved is the interactions between our our lead and and the the creature mm-hmm. and i think that there is moments of like pure brilliance in those in both the scenes of those interactions and her talking with her friend, the flatmate, whatever. Yeah. Like I don't, yeah, it, Richard I, Jenkins' character. Yeah, I, I I don't quite understand the relationship between those two um, people. Mm-hmm. Or I guess they're both 
societal outcasts sort yeah. of uh but it's either way like their, their stuff is really really good there there is like a, an amazing beautiful scene that involves i, I, I teared them. up at that scene oh, that yeah, was, yeah, that for was sure. if she gets nominated for something and it would not surprise me whatsoever that scene had better be like what they play to yeah, yeah, to justify yeah. it and it's and it's so and it's amazing too cuz like in the trailer when you listen to um her dialogue being spoken it's it's not being acted in a way where you think that scene is specifically emotional mm-hmm. but like the context for why the conversation is happening and seeing her like no 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 listen to me pay attention to me say what i'm signing yeah. because i want to know that you're really getting like you're hearing me quote unquote mm-hmm. i'm doing finger quotes right now yeah. um I, I just thought that that scene was amazing and like it it was kind of like this this is the shit that i want to see right <laughs> um in general, I think that Guillermo del Toro really loves fairy tales. And because he does, he wants to tell most of his stories in that way. Mm-hmm. And they all work really well on paper. And they don't always perfectly execute in a way that is satisfying to me in like the grand scheme of things. Just because mm-hmm. some things are great ideas, but are you have to like there's a there's a a jump that you have to make to accept them as reality. Yeah, the narrative arc doesn't always lead you through in the way that a, a lot of films would try to do. Yeah, yeah. So so it's one of those things where you have to enter into a Guillermo film uh, with that in mind and view it through that lens. And I yeah. think this film works incredibly well through that through that lens. I mean, we have these we have these, these it's it's bookended by two things that like if I'm if I'm going to I mean. Obviously, the first one is just the lead, like a, a a cool visual lead in to yeah. the thing. But I think if you pair that with the ending with that that scene at the table yeah. in the middle of the film, it's clear that all three of those shots are sort of the they're, they're sort of the ending of the Florida Project, right? Where it's yes. like, yeah. this isn't how this story actually unfolded, but this is the way we all want it to yeah. unfold. So we're gonna tell it this way. Like in the in the narration, he refers to her as the princess, yeah. and it's like. It's it's like if if this is a true story, like pretending like uh, I'm making the jump to the fact that this is a real story, right? Mm-hmm. This obviously this film isn't claiming to be a real story, but I mean I, I'm 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 making that leap. I'm on board with this story, but even in the in the universe of the story, it's clear that there are events that happened, and then there are eventualities of the events. Mm-hmm. And one of the stories is an idea, and one of the stories is what really happened. Yeah. <laughs> and we are we are seen and narrated the fantasy version of what happened in this universe which is very pan's labyrinth right this this idea of the two realities coexisting at the same time and as obviously as we we the viewers want the fantasy reality to be the real reality but (laughs) but like we know that that can't (laughs) can't be the real reality yeah but i I don't know i i I just i in in general I, i i think it's a strong film i liked it a lot and uh definitely glad i saw it mm-hmm. um the beginning works way better than the end for me but i i i liked it overall yeah no i i agree and i do think it, his films definitely require some kind of like sus- it, it's not suspension of disbelief it's like suspension of narrative consistency requirements like there's a thing you go into and th- that's what i'm calling like the european aspect of the movie where you just have to opt in and be like I know what you're trying to convey and that's what I'm going to be looking for. And I'm not going to be casting a keen eye on like, does suspense build properly? Does this scene lead well into the next scene? Are we missing some gaps there? I'm just going to 
open up to whatever little vignettes you want to throw my way. Yeah. And yeah, I, I completely think like this, this movie works as many individual scenes and it doesn't necessarily add up to a whole. And I just like couldn't have cared less about that in this particular one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it's funny too, because I think this, this movie is very on the nose about it's like political parallels, right? I mean, the, the sea creature, the monster is an outsider and many other characters in the film are outsiders and they're being shunned, right? There's, there's a scene where, Within the span of like three minutes, a gay man is chastised for making an advance on someone <laughs> and a black couple is refused seating at a yeah. restaurant. And it, it's like very clear that all of this is supposed to go together in this kind of fable of how do we treat others, right? Do we do we treat them as like tiny miracles or do we treat them as things to be like shunned and pushed away and fought? Yeah. Um, and like that is not subtle at all like it, it's not trying to be subtle <laughs> no, no, no. and sometimes i like i get annoyed when movies aren't subtle enough like i think they could have packaged things in a clever way and here like the hard on your sleeve unsubtlety just really 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 worked for me and i think there's just so many visual things in this movie that i loved like there's a scene i'm, I'm not going to spoil what it does but at one point uh there's like a blue glowing effect uh, that the monster has yeah. and it's never been mentioned before it, it might not ever be mentioned again like you have no idea yeah, yeah. you don't even get to learn anything about it no one's going to talk about it and it's just like these little these tiny like casual miracles in his movies that are like oh yeah that also exists I'm not going to talk about that anymore, but <laughs> just trust me that the world is full of all of these things that you don't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That just like, I don't know. I was in the right mood for the movie today. Yeah, it's. I I think that. I feel like it's a it's a it's an. Uh, I mean. Subject matter aside, I, I think it's a inoffensive film. <laughs> I'm sure some people will <laughs> take offense to certain yeah. parts of the film if you're like just addressing it in a completely literal sense and like just trying to nitpick it. But I, but I think the construct of the story and the way things play out, I think are all, I think, I think, I just think there's a lot to enjoy about the film mm -hmm. that, that shouldn't, it shouldn't be the type of film where somebody's like, Oh yeah. I, I actually think it's worth having a small spoiler section. Cause there's, there's certain events in the film that like, it's kind of clear it's going that direction, but it I don't really want to spoil stuff, but I do kind of want to talk about some things that Guillermo del Toro <laughs> chose to do in this movie yeah, and we, whether they work for you or not. Yeah, we can definitely do that. Um, first, let's let Carson has, uh, have his say about what he thought about the film. So we'll start that now. You know, the best part about doing drop-ins is that I get to restart whenever I want. Uh, no one gets to hear all the unsuccessful attempts uh, all the we out here fams that I tried to start this off with, but uh, we are out here fam. Uh, you know what I just don't like, uh, and they've all seemed to be come out or have come out recently, is these movies that have kind of been stuck, or at least for me, I've gotten stuck kind of in the in the middle ground on them. Uh, Call me by your name, three billboards, mother. The Disaster Artist, uh, which I still haven't finished listening to the review of yet because I got about a minute in and had to turn it off because I was cringing too hard. Um, Carson, why why do you hate Chris and Steven so much? Uh, I don't. I, I really don't. Uh, I'm just a terrible person. That's all. Um, but The Shape of Water, unfortunately, 
I think fits into this category. Uh, I mean, it's very, very disappointing for me, all of these movies, because I don't hate them. I don't dislike any of them, uh, but I also don't fully like any of them. And I think it's extra disappointing because they're all from directors that I really like. Uh, and I think that, you know, it on paper, they should be a slam dunk. Um, you know, I was excited going into The Shape of Water because Guillermo del Toro is one of the best directors out there right now, one of my favorite directors. Um, I mean, I put Crimson Peak on my top 10 uh, two years ago. Um, that's probably either one of my favorite del Toro movies, um, but I've liked all of his movies. They always have a wonderful sense of vision, uh, crazy, unique, very whimsical. Uh, even something like Pacific Rim or Blade Two, you get that sense of whimsy. You get there's that added element, a uh, fairy tale nature that Guillermo del Toro is so good at. Um, so with The Shape of Water, you know, absolutely cannot shit on this movie because. I mean, you just can't because it's so well done. Like, you, there's no denying how great this movie looks. Uh, you know, all of his movies look great. This one, no different. The production design is off the charts, uh, especially considering how low the budget was. Uh, it's crazy. Um, but I think that, you know, there was something, something for me, there was something weirdly dispassionate about this movie yet i was left very cold the whole time um it didn't to me didn't have that whimsical nature that that sort of fairy tale element that i have come to expect from his movies uh but you know that's just me and i'm sure a lot of people would disagree and be like you're crazy uh but you know that's fine um you know my thought process going into this movie was I thought it was going to be like Del Toro's spin on Beauty and the Beast. Um, but really, it feels, it's more of a, it's a much more dramatic take. It, it's it's more of an homage to uh, these classic uh, romantic dramas from the time period of that the movie is set in, like 50s and 60s, um, th except with a fish man, which is great. Um, and there's a couple really wonderfully executed sequences uh, that pay tribute to that style of of, of movies. Uh, like there's a there's a black and white sequence where uh, Sally Hawkins is dancing with Doug Jones, and like I said, that is awesome. It's done really well, um, but it's pretty much the same reaction I had for Three Billboards, where part of it felt like. Um, you know, a Martin McDonough movie. And then the other part just felt like a standard police drama. So like I didn't, you know, I was registering with some of the movie and then the other parts that were kind of more straight drama, I wasn't really digging. Um, you know, and that's kind of, it's so, I wasn't getting like the full experience for me. Um, and, you know, and again, I can't rag on it too hard because, like I said, this movie is executed on a much higher level than 
most movies that come out. So it really just comes down to, uh, you know, me wanting, I guess, more like I, I, I could have I, I, I could have seen this movie gone further. Like, I, you know, I, I would have liked to maybe seen it go darker and weirder. Uh, definitely more whimsical for sure. Uh, I did appreciate the fact that it was rated R um, and there was a lot of like violence in it and stuff. Uh, it felt very akin to Pan's Labyrinth um, in that way. Um, but I like, obviously I like Pan's Labyrinth uh, a lot better than this movie. Um, now I think the movie, for me, the movie that similar in nature, but for me was overall the better movie and the, f- the full experience was um, Gore Verbinski's A Cure for Wellness, which I've mentioned a couple times on the podcast, uh, and I will continue to mention it because I feel like it is uh, very undervalued. Um, and, you know, that movie pretty much ticks off a lot of the same uh, things that this movie, you know, has, uh, like Forbidden Love, timely metaphors, uh, 60s aesthetic uh, with water imagery and a green color palette, uh, and also creatures being exploited and experimented on for the personal gain of evil people. Um, So, you know, it has all that stuff, but I felt like it just wrapped it up in a much uh, neater bow. Um, And and look, like, again, (laughs) it's... It, it's it's disappointing. I guess you could chalk it up to maybe a war of two Carsons because, you know, I don't like, you know, when I come out of a movie, I would much rather, you know, have the reaction of uh, just fully liking it or fully hating it because kind of being in the middle, you know, is not really a fun reaction. That's not, uh, that's not really where I want to be because, you know, at least loving or hating it is a reaction. You know, being in the middle is just kind of like, you know, it's definitely not as fun for me and it's not as fun to listen to, but, uh, you know, that's just how it is. And uh, like I said, a lot of these movies I was excited for, but I, you know, they just, they they left, there were parts that I really liked, um, but it left me lacking. There was a lot lacking in other places that, uh, I wish would have been fully on board, but you know, that's okay. I, I think if I were to rate this movie, I would give it a, a wait for rental, uh, just because that's kind of the the middle rating of our system rating system. But obviously, like you know, you should still go out. I would still tell people to go out and see the movie. Like, go out, see the movie, decide for yourself, because you know a lot of people have really liked it. And, um, I've just landed in this weird limbo. And like I said, it's not, not really a fun place to be, but you know, that's okay. Yeah. And this is, uh, usually the point in time where Chris or Steven will interrupt me and cut me off. All right. So those were Carson's thoughts on the shape of water. Um, um, but assuming he didn't have spoilers in there that I have to remove and and go later, (laughs) um, let's, let's go ahead and, uh, uh, give our verdicts for the film and then get into spoilers shortly after that. Stephen Miller, if you're going to give this a must-see, reckon with the caveat, wait for rental, pass with the caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? Uh, for me, this is a must-see. I think this 
this doesn't achieve the same level, but this is kind of my Swiss Army Man of the year. This is my movie that <laughs> is both gory and wildly romantic and like unsubtle and willing to be like just big and force you to opt into a universe whether or not you knew going in that you were willing to opt into it and it 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 just worked i i really really like the like wild romanticism of this movie and i feel like i haven't gotten one like that this year there's been so many things that are very like dark and dour and difficult and i i like just having a movie with a clean fable like narrative that i can latch on to yeah um, it's, it's not my Swiss Army Man because that would make it my favorite movie of the year, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, it's definitely a film that I enjoyed a lot and I'll give it a must see too. Um, obviously there's probably going to be at least a few bits of the film that might turn away some type of viewers of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but we won't let them skew the rating for the film. We'll, we'll give it a must see anyways. <laughs> they can have their own caveats and shove it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that will bring us to the end of the non-spoiler section of this episode, um, our review of The Shape of Water. Um, we're going to do our normal sign-out here, and then we're going to come back for that spoiler segment. So, Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, they can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. Uh, people can find Carson eating candies and yelling at the help. Um, <laughs> people can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning or like us at facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to The Shape of Water. So that is playing now. We are going to let that play for a little bit. Music's going to fade up. When the music fades back down, we'll be in fantasy territory spoiler territory yeah. and then we'll be talking full spoilers for this oh, film. oh we're gonna be squawking all about this movie <laughs> and then michael shannon ain't even here <laughs> all right so see you in a few moments Alright, so we are back. This is Spoiler Territory. It is the after show for the Spoiler Warning Podcast. We are talking full spoilers for The Shape of Water, as requested by one Stephen Miller. So Stephen Miller, start us off. Yeah, so for the most part, I'm not... I, I don't care much about the big narrative arcs. Like, there, there's the whole Russian subplot with Michael Stuhlbarg, and that's whatever. It, it fits in a fantasy the way, like, Gaston scene f- fit in Beauty and the Beast. Like, I don't care about them, but it's fine that they're there. Yeah. What I'm really interested in are two things. One, first, she fucks the, the monster. Like, <laughs> yeah. we, we all knew it was probably coming, but I, I wanted to ask two questions. First, how did you feel about it since... Their connection was developed, but on a very basic how to train your dragon way. And I don't think a romantic connection was developed. So I'm I'm curious how Schnazies feel about <laughs> that experience. So I I see this entire film as a whole as shorthand. Mm-hmm. I feel like everything is condensed because like like it, there's some world where Guillermo made a four and a half hour cut of this film and it involved a lot more of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think that like if you were to remove the 
that's that sign language scene where she's forcing her neighbor to like listen intently and speak the thing she's signing. If you took that scene out, I think this film would not have established enough a connection between her and the creature for that scene to have felt uh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I think that in that scene, there are there are, there are high emotional stakes at play that um, that make this not just like I'm gonna bang this hot fish man, right? Yeah. It, it it's it goes deeper than that, and there's like a, a a deep emotional connection she has with this creature, and I feel like it it feels honest. Um, also, when they have that first the first little interaction is she's like touching his chest and it's like glittering. Mm-hmm. And then he like she try- takes off her dress. Yeah, he, well, he, he tries to start, yeah. and she like rejects him. And I think that, it, from what I can tell, it's cut weird, but I'm pretty sure she she literally slept on it like yeah. before doing it. Like the in the moment, I kind of felt like she was like, "No, we can't do this." Got ready for bed, and then changed her mind. But I think she's holding the clock in the morning, having turned off the alarm. Yeah. And having just woken up and then decides to go in yeah, there. Yeah, I, I think um, so too. So I think that there's definitely, not only are they establishing that this is not just like, a, hey, I want to get some with a fish man. This is like a deep rooted, like this, it's it's the whole like, he sees me in a different way that, mm-hmm. than the rest of the world sees me. Big connection. Plus she spent 12 hours <laughs> th- yeah. thinking about, is this something she could do? And then decided that she could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I think it it, it works. Yeah, no, I, I, I do too. I think, I, I think the way this movie deals with sex is very like interesting. Like yeah. this movie opens with uh, Sally Hawkins' character masturbating in a bathtub, and like I had heard that before. It's the weirdest spoiler to ever be given for a movie, but yeah. it's the one thing that I knew about this film. Um, but it actually like it fits really well because all throughout the movie, I think there's this kind of idea of like sex and desire as a very animal physical fluidy type thing (laughs) um and like that like that scene i think parallels really nicely with the scenes where she's actually uh getting with the monster i think where this is they're like kindred spirits kind of like they're two people who just want to float in in joy and like Michael Shannon also has like super awkward strange sex scenes in this movie yeah and and there's just something where I feel like Guillermo del Toro is like a very tactile filmmaker and sex is just one of the things in his repository that is like you don't you're not comfortable with this all the time just like you might not be comfortable with a blackened finger that I'm gonna twist off right now or someone eating the head of a cat but I'm gonna put it directly in front of you i'm not gonna like cover it up with anything and i'm just gonna make you wrestle with it yeah and i i i like that well it, it, was, it was interesting because when the film opened with her masturbating in the tub i was immediately like oh she's fucking the fish like <laughs> it, it was it was clear foreshadowing that like where's she putting those eggs <laughs> no no but, but 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 seriously like because obviously when you watch the trailer you know there's this romantic connection there mm-hmm. And it's in the back of your head that it's going to happen. Yeah. And I think if this film shied away from the sexuality of different things mm-hmm. up until the moment this happened, you would have been like, oh, that was a surprise. But like when it opens that way, it kind of lets you know like, oh, this is an adult story. Yeah. Adult things are going to happen. We're just be on board. It's like it's prepping you to be in the right mindset to understand what is coming moving forward. So that way, like somebody isn't just like throwing their popcorn going like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like in the middle of that scene. And I think that like it's, it's, 
it's a weird way to foreshadow, but it kind of put me into like, oh, that answers mm-hmm. that question. Like it's immediately I knew it was going to happen. I, I also thought that scene and in particular the the final sex scene where she's closed the door to the bathroom and filled it all with water. Yeah. It's just like it's gorgeously shot. And it re- reminded me of uh the Cirque du Soleil Zoomanity show, which you, you probably haven't seen. <laughs> I have not seen. But there, it, it's like actually a, like a quite beautiful show, yeah. all, all things considered. It's also <laughs> like a fun comedy type thing. But but anyway, there's a there's a moment in there where it's two women who are basically doing like underwater ballet naked in a giant bowl of water. Yeah. And it's like very striking when you see it because it's like that is not a thing you see very much. It's just like yeah. the human body in that position. And I... <laughs> I, I don't know. Obviously, I, I obviously thought, you haven't watched Piranha 3D. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but anyway, I, I just thought it was like really gorgeously done. I thought it was really beautiful the way, like especially it, the room is filled with water, and then he contrasts it with heavy rain happening outside, yeah, and yeah. there's just so much atmosphere in this in this movie. So I really like that. Yeah, and I and I do like too that the way they handle it is once once the the deal has been sealed uh, or sealed, mm-hmm. huh? Ha. Ha. Uh, the 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 film is completely unashamed of it. Mm-hmm. Even when the neighbor comes in and opens the door and the water pours out and like sees what's going on, he kind of just has that like, oh, I, I guess I'll leave you two alone. Yeah. And Octavia Spencer is just like interested in how <laughs> yeah. it works. Yeah, yeah. She's she wants to know the mechanics. Yeah, and it's like there there is no there is no handling of it as if what she did was wrong. Mm-hmm. Everyone is more like, oh, I, I wasn't supposed to be paying attention to this, or tell me more, um, yeah. which is a nice way to handle it. Um, yeah. Because it, it 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 isn't played like a a shock like it is in other films where animalistic creatures right. um, decide to have sex with human beings. Like th- this is meant to be a a purely romantic gesture between these creatures. So yeah. yeah. Now I mentioned Michael Shannon having sex. Michael Shannon, his character is just crazy to me in this movie. Yeah, it it wasn't enough to do any damage because everyone is larger than life, so it's fine. But I, I think like he normally does really nuanced, interesting character work where his people are his characters are brooding, but there's like a reason for it. There's something internally going on. And here, I just felt like he did whatever the script called him to do, like <laughs> having these weird biblical conversations about Samson and Delilah, throwing in non sequiturs about like. God doesn't look like you. He looks like me twisting off his bloody fingers. It, I, I don't know. I, I just don't get what he is in this movie. Yeah. I mean, he's somebody fully consumed with whatever. <laughs> with something. <laughs> I mean, it's a, he's like a fish person. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but yeah. He's secretly it, like Kanye West. <laughs> he likes fish sticks. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he is. He is like a. I, it, it's. I mean, it's once again, it's that really on the nose thing of, of juxtaposing a literal monster who is more human than a human who is a literal monster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's yeah, it's there you go. <laughs> yeah, he. I don't know. His scenes just made me uncomfortable. Like when. When he tries to suddenly hit on Eliza, yeah, sort of in that like that that's the squawk reference that I made before. It's just like, like he's doing it well, and he's doing I'm sure whatever Guillermo wanted from his character, which is this larger than life mon- monstrous figure. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like 
he was not my favorite. <laughs> yeah, and he he was doing it in a way too that wasn't it wasn't just like a superior being inappropriate. It was a person specifically targeting a person and trying to hurt them in a way that like he could be excited about. Like so yeah. it was it was as as monstrous as that type of scene could be within context. Yeah, I I did even though I didn't love the Russia subplot. I liked Michael Stuhlbarg in this movie a lot. Yeah. Um. And I think, again, his behavior points to how Del Toro is not afraid to make a movie be both wildly romantic and completely gruesome. Like, there, there's a moment in this movie that I hadn't realized till a few seconds later. He basically, like, just murdered this guard who was standing pointing a gun oh, yeah. at Richard Jenkins. And he didn't think twice about it. And, like, well, he it passed thought, by he so twice. <laughs> it, it passed by so quickly that in my head at first, I was like, oh, yeah, he has, like, a serum that'll tranquilize people. And then I was like, no, no, that was supposed to kill the, the fish. No, that's the thing that kills yeah. things. And that, that's the thing, too, about that, uh, that, that particular guard. The guard doesn't know what goes on inside the base. Mm-hmm. All he knows is, like, uh, this unauthorized vehicle is trying to get in. What do I do? Yeah. So, yeah, that was, a, that was a pretty needless murder that took place. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention is that so this whole film takes place above an old-timey movie theater. So it has a lot of similarities to some other movies about movies in there. And I do feel like this whole movie is kind of an ode to old-school Hollywood movie making to the point where I was so sure that Richard Jenkins' drawings were going to turn into, like, the creature from the Black Lagoon or something. Like, this movie was going to tie into, oh, like, like, and that's the how literal this origin of how That's it, how yeah. Don Draper came up with the Coca-Cola commercial. Yeah, yeah. Spoilers for Mad Men. Um, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, it, this was just such a... It was a movie that seemed very, very in love with old-timey Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was a little disappointed that, like, it didn't follow Richard Jenkins' character. I, I think the ending is pretty perfect, the way that it just, like, concisely shuts on that little, the the Florida Project-type thing, the yeah, little yeah. glimmer of the future that might have been. But I, I would have kind of liked an even neater bow, too. Um. Okay, so, the, I mean... We're in spoiler territory, so I will pose questions that like technically aren't even spoilers because mm-hmm. this is not. I mean, we're just going to talk about the scars versus the gills. Yeah. Um, a, when you first saw the scars, did you be like, "She's going to be a foot fish woman"? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it was like it was like that has to be the only like the only thing that makes sense of these scars being there. Um, so w- w- when I when I when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, like." She's totally going to be a fish woman. So I thought there was a bit of foreshadowing in the middle um, in the in the first scene where they're torturing the creature out of the water and the doctor's like explaining things. And you can say like they can spontaneously switch between breathing from two different apparatuses or whatever. Um, I thought for sure when she first got shot that uh, out like at the end of the film, rather than him having to throw her in the water and like kiss her and then have her turn into a fish person. Mm -hmm. I thought for sure that like she would just suddenly take a deep breath. And like mm. the gills would open up, and like she will have like converted back into fish woman. Yeah. Um. And I thought it was gonna be like a more literal rather than this fantasy book ending of like changing the narrative. Yeah. Because I mean, I think we can all agree that she's definitely dead, <laughs> and the fish person Probably, jumps yeah. in the water with her, and like she just never comes back, and the fish person's sad and swims away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, that's 
Yeah, because that's like. But I choose to live in a world where she survives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Especially because the fish person can heal with his hands. So I, I, I was surprised to not see him just immediately put his hand on the wound and yeah. kind of magically heal. But it, but I think also there's a there's a sense of like the way I sort of read his healing abilities are um, he, he can regrow hair from dead follicles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he can fix wounds. He could probably heal the fingers of Michael Shannon. Um, but I think once something's dead, they might just be dead. That's okay. just my assumption of the way that works. Yeah, that um, seems fair. Because you can't like literally lay on hands. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> if the person's just gone, gone already. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm open to fish people. <laughs> Not healing. I'm just saying that that that's the way I sort of assume the rules work. But yeah, I I mean I I thought for sure there would be like this transformation where it was like going to be a big reveal mm-hmm. um, because happening after the fact in the floaty ethereal water world. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like it, it was it was it was almost like the uh, remember back in the day in Baywatch when no matter where they were when they dove underwater it was that same pool with the same yeah. rocks in the bottom <laughs> of it. They could be like the middle of the ocean that same ten foot pool. Mm-hmm. They're like on the beach 10 foot pool yeah it was kind of like that like yeah i mean i I definitely saw this as a parallel to the scene where she's sitting across the table from him and all of a sudden a spotlight comes on her and she's singing and and dancing singing and this is a fantasy right this is the hollywood flight of fancy that she wishes she could be in that moment and i think the underwater scene at the end is very much like that for richard jenkins character where this is what he wants to believe is happening yeah yeah so yeah <laughs> cool also i like that he ate the cat <laughs> I, I just think because honestly in my i was thinking like how soon after this is she gonna kiss him because <laughs> there's like cat head in his mouth <laughs> it, it was funny too because like this is a man who just takes in stray cats you might even say the lead is sort of like a stray cat oh. <laughs> um but so it's kind of like there's no real loss because like he named the cat that got eaten because there's a scene where he's like oh he ate Henry or whatever, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> but but it's also not like that cat was his only friend right yeah. because in the very next scene there's like the body of the cat and then like three other cats just walking around the yep. apartment so it has that kind of funny thing where it's like oh we get it he's a wild creature but then like afterwards he's just petting the next cat and he's like oh don't don't eat don't okay. I did. So I also don't know the nature of their relationship, but I did really love Richard Jenkins' character in this movie. Yeah. Uh, there's that scene in the middle where he, so he's been going to the same pie place over and over <laughs> again to see the man who seemed to be giving off signals that he was foppish at least. Like, so so I, I think it wasn't just to see the man. I think it was research. Like, because oh, when, when he, yeah, when he was told to remake it green, he was mm-hmm. getting key lime pie. Because he needed like a gelatinous wiggly yeah. green, and that's why he cut it into individual pieces so yeah, he could yeah. eat while he was drawing. That makes sense. So it was like a, it was like a combination yeah. of of work and pleasure. <laughs> but anyway, when he like put himself out there and like reaches out and just says, "I'd like to get to know you better," and then gets shot down, oh, it hurt. <laughs> it hurt my heart like the dad and ladybird being depressed. Like it, oh, it just hurts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was kind of funny too because. Like the way it's handled is it's you think 
like when he's like, what are you doing, old man? You think he's talking about him. He's like, oh, shit. And then when he realizes he's talking to like the couple behind him mm-hmm. and then it's like this double. And he's like, uh, I feel weird now. It, is it me or is it them? Is yeah. it what? It's just all of this is wrong. and It's uncomfortable now. Mm-hmm. But it was. So I this isn't spoilery at all, but I just realized we I don't think we talked about the character design in this movie or did we of of the creature yeah, itself yeah the creature we we did not <laughs> i think it was like phenomenally well done and it is definitely showcasing why practical effects can still be extraordinarily useful because yeah. the, this is a movie where like everything is tactile like everything is touching and animalistic and yeah, like yeah. the fact that it is really interacting in the environment and really like touching Sally Hawkins i think is it's huge and like the little CG effects that were done to make the eyes be moving in a certain way and to make the glowing it, it was just blended so well. I thought it was like really, really, really well done. Yeah, yeah. I think it it's how I think I think how much you're buying into the film determines how well you think the effects are. Because this mm-hmm. is definitely like an infinitely memeable type of situation, right? Yeah. Because the the creature, the acting of the creature, he's supposed to be like adult and formidable but also childlike and silly like when mm-hmm. he's learning like uh you know she, she, she's playing the the record and like teaching him that like this is the sign language for music he's like oh yeah. oh, oh. <laughs> like, yeah. it's this really it's it's very funny mm-hmm. but like you are buying into it because you're completely invested at that moment in time mm-hmm. but it's like you know like whenever the oscars are happening and they show a clip from a movie and out of context you're like huh best actor yeah like you know it's like one of those things where like a scene never works isolated from the rest of the film right as well as it does in the context and i think that if you see any individual scene with the creature emoting or doing something it won't feel as good as it does once you've invested yourself in the film right. um and that's not to like talk down on the effects i just mean that like it's it, it rides that line very well mm-hmm. um but comes into a dangerous uh, like if they're, uh, Spence probably wouldn't think the effects are good, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but but yeah, I, I I enjoyed it. He was the one from Grandpa's Boy, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Any, any any last thoughts about the film? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, uh, I think that'll do it for the spoiler section for this episode. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Stephen, for joining. Thanks for having me. And uh, we will see you guys next week with a review of Star Wars. Oh, shit. The Last Jedi.